Cripple Content Creations presents bonus content. Hello, Patreon supporters. If you're listening right now, I am here with my friend Charlie Garner. We just finished the main episode of Disability After Dark. And now, as a bonus to you for putting down $1 or more a month, Charlie has agreed to come and talk more about her experiences being disabled, her experiences being sexual, her a whole bunch of issues with medications and orgasm. Things things are about to get real. So, <laughs> Charlie, thanks for sticking around. No problem. Hello. Uh, I'm falling in love with your British accent more and more. I, like, <laughs> I'm an Anglophile through and through, so... Wow. Uh, you don't know what this is doing to like my emotional brain. It's like, oh, British. <laughs> Um, that's good because I'm I'm from like the the central south bit so in the UK I've got like a very posh accent I'm like known as having a very posh accent but it's nice when you talk to people who are not English because they're like you just have a lovely British accent and everyone else thinks, thinks thinks you're posh so so wait so they're, are they expecting you to be like oi governor like what <laughs> all cockney amazing yeah <laughs> that's about all I know like that's I basically know Dick Van Dyke from 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 um, Mary Poppins. That's that's uh-huh. my extent of like rough British accents or <laughs> anything from like those old BBC shows where they like were putting it on. Don't ask me to do accents though, because I I am terrible at accents. I can only do my own, and that's it. <laughs> I kind of want to make you do an American one right now, but I won't. But I, but I won't. <laughs> I won't. Um. So you <laughs> in. In in your questionnaire, you sent like literally an essay of things you wanted to talk about. And one of the things you put there for me was that you take a lot of medications, as you mentioned, and one of the side effects of the medications is not being able to orgasm, which I I would say feels weird. But lately, for me, just generally, I haven't come a lot. I don't come a lot, but mm. so I'm used to kind of not coming anymore, which is weird. But when I want to come, I can't. So I, I, I can mm-hmm. relate that way. Like wanting, mm-hmm. like today, for instance, when I was having the sex with a dude, I wanted to come really hard and I, it was not happening. And I mm-hmm. had to just kind of accept that. So like, do you ever, do you get mad at the medications when you're like, fuck, I just want to come mm-hmm. and, I, and I can't? So um, I'm no longer on that medication, which is fantastic. And I did try and get it off it as, as quickly as I could when I knew which one it was. Um, so um, I am yeah, pleased to say that the orgasms are back and, and very much happening and, and great. <laughs> which is great it was it was in the time when when I first had um like when I first had fibro um but, you know slightly before I was um diagnosed they weren't quite sure um you know what was wrong with me so they basically threw every pain medication at me that they could find which brings a whole host of side effects I mean at this point there was a time when you know I was pretty much bed bound so they needed to throw that much medication at me because just to get me through the day and to get me to sleep and things like that so um, it was necessary, but yeah, one of the, um, I was on a drug called gabapentin, which is a nerve suppressor. Um, and I, um, I didn't realize that was what it was, but yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't come at that point. I wasn't having a lot of partnered sex it was mostly masturbation, um, because I was, I was very ill and I wasn't sort of dating very much because I was sort of, sort of housebound really. Yeah, trying um, to recover. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and but I remember, you know, I mean, we talked about it on on the main episode that that um, you know, sex and masturbation has always been a really great pain relief for me. And not actually being able to come was like really it was it it was really frustrating, incredibly frustrating. Um, and and one of those things where like I, I think I needed more like more stimulation because of whatever was suppressing that 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 orgasm I needed more stimulation to get there the problem was I have uh, the fibromyalgia was bad and like my hands hurt and my joints hurt I can't actually like things that oh, it might I be know. able to do if I, oh, yeah exactly I, like, I have a different thing but the same issue like my I have I have spastic CP so mm. the reason why I started hiring sex workers was literally so that somebody could get me off like because yeah. my muscles my hands don't I can't do it. Like I was with this dude today and I was trying to get him off with my hand and I got really annoyed because I realized that like when a cis man or a person with a penis rather, when a person Mm -hmm. with a penis goes to jerk themselves off, there's a really fast motion that they, Uh that's kind of like a really like a, like a standard motion of like getting off. I Uh cannot replicate that for someone else. So Uh I get really annoyed when I'm trying to, to pleasure myself or somebody else that uh-huh. I can't replicate fast friction motions because uh-huh. I have, I have limited, um, I have limited dexterity and bad fine motor skills and can't I can't, uh-huh. so I get it of like uh-huh. doing your best to get off and not being able to. It's, it's uh-huh. fucking the worst. Uh-huh. Um, and I think uh, you know probably what I needed at that point and looking back on it you know had I got myself a lovely powerful vibrator it may have solved all my problems but also I was you know focused on not being well I was you know um, at home being looked after by my mum not going out not having really any independence I mean the internet was there but it just kind of didn't didn't put all these things together um, you know but in hindsight I should have said hey mum can can you go to <laughs> Can you, just, can you just pop to the shops and grab me a vibrator? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> something powerful. That'd be great. <laughs> something like a Hitachi magic wand or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that probably would have like, you know, got through whatever was going on. But, you know, I, I think it's that disconnect with your body as well, though, when, when you when you can't, when things that used to work don't currently work for you. There's that, there's that real frustration there that you that you can't be connected to your body in the same way that um, that that you once were. It's yeah, it's really frustrating. Yeah, and I know, like for me losing the ability to masturbate a couple years ago, like uh, on my own. I went through a, a good I, a good three or four weeks of depression of like this. Uh, really, I've because when you want to sleep, sometimes you come and you sleep better. And I, uh, I would use masturbation as a way to like. I, I gotta sleep. Now I have insomnia all the time because I can't just jerk uh-huh. off and sleep. So uh-huh. like a totally, totally different thing, but I also totally get it. Mm. That's so so true about the sleeping. I, I call them my, my M&Ms, which is my two M's, which is <laughs> masturb- masturbation and meditation. And if, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I've tried both and I, can't, I still can't sleep and I'm like, the M&Ms are not working. Usually one or the other will, will work for me to try and get to sleep. Have you tried eating real M&Ms while masturbating? That could... Well, allergic to peanuts. I can't oh, yeah, fuckery. Yeah. That's, there's so many problems. <laughs> um, one of the things I was looking at in the, in the paragraph of stuff was that your experience of waking up from your first operation. Now, when I first read that, I thought what you meant was that you woke up during the operation. No. Oh, no. <laughs> 
that would be awful oh my goodness that's like one of my worst nightmares that's what i read and i was like oh my god oh wow so but no you woke up like after the surgery was done right yeah like normal yeah yeah so um i actually had managed to go even though i'd been you know really unwell and had lots of problems i've managed to go yeah 26 25 years of my life not having an operation because none, a lot wow. of my illnesses were not things that they could do anything about a lot of them have been like oh you've got this diagnosis and we just go home and try and manage it the best you can um and whilst that's really frustrating in lots of ways that's been really good because it meant that i haven't had a lot of sort of planned medical intervention all of my medical intervention has been um you know like emergency treatment for my allergies and, and things like that um but earlier this year i had um I had some chronic pain problems in my lower stomach and they didn't know what they were and I'd had Story some Story of my life. Story of my <laughs> yeah. life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. yeah, they didn't know what they were and, and they seemed to be going with my period cycles. So someone had suggested that they were cysts or my ovaries and um, they weren't really sure what they were and, and, and one night they ended up incredibly bad and I ended up in hospital because the pain was so acute um and it was a weekend and I don't really understand why but it was it was a weekend so they couldn't book me for a scan so I had an operation that I didn't need so it was a bit wait they made you have an operation when you could have just had a scan yeah so they needed to scan to see whether my ovaries had cysts because that's what they suspected and then they were like well you're obviously in so much pain if you have got a cyst and we leave this till monday it might burst or you may have like a twisted ovary or something like that um so they were like well the scan people have all gone home for the weekend so we're going to do a laparoscopy and i don't think a laparoscopy is particularly invasive it's keyhole no, but still like they, but it's still it's yeah. a whole procedure like I've, i have my gallbladder out with the with the lapar- laparoscopically and it's not invasive, but you're still under. You still got to do all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I did remember being like, well, I'm in loads of pain, so I'm definitely going to consent to having this operation. But like, why can we not? Is there not a weekend scan person? Like, you're <laughs> a consultant. Can we not get the machine and just do it here? Yeah. I think I could, like, you did an ultrasound or something. It was fairly simple. I'm consenting, um, but I'm not actually consenting. I'm consenting because I don't want to die. That's what I... <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, I woke up from this operation and, and um, you know, the nurse was there and the nurse was reassuring me. She said, don't worry, you know, we haven't found anything. There's nothing wrong with you. And to me, this was like, I was, I was so upset. I like immediately started crying and I was actually very coherent. Um, you know how sometimes you come around for an operation, and you're a bit woozy for a while and yeah. you say funny things. So the doctors, you know, you know, I was really quite dis- distressed and it's very unlike me. I don't make a big fuss. And um, so the doctors were all trying to reassure me that I was OK and that nothing was wrong. And actually, and they just thought I was kind of going a bit funny from the anaesthetic. Um, and my mum was there and I remember my mum being there and she was the only one that understood that actually I was really upset by the fact that that they hadn't found anything. Because that has been the story of my life of having tests and things, people saying, uh, you know, we've done all the tests. There's nothing wrong with you. We can't explain why you're ill or unwell or having these problems. You know that um, it's, it's what the what the fibro was. It was what the ME was when I was a child, and it and it's the same with um, you know the things like my my hypermobility and IBS and migraines. They just don't know what the cause of any of them are. Um, and so to wake up from that operation and not be able to um, express to the doctors that actually them having not found anything and treated it for me in that moment was worse than them, um, you know, having said, yes, we got it, because it was just the same thing over and over again. Um, And actually, I I remember thinking, you know, I'd been on morphine since I'd been in the hospital. um, And I was like, all you're going to do now is send me home. You're going to discharge me and send me home. How am I going to cope with these 
with this new pain, this new chronic pain. I mean, luckily, it, it's it's kind of just um, it's kind of fixed itself. We don't know what it was. It was just a sort of phantom pain, but um, it, it's still there a little bit. Um, but um, it has kind of gotten a lot better. So my worries at that moment of coming out of the operation were not really founded. But um, yeah, I remember trying to explain that to the doctors and it being them just kind of going over their heads and them not really grasping why I was so upset. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I totally get it. Like, because you, you assume if you're going to go in for surgery, especially surgery where they tell you if you don't go in there, like something, mm. something will happen to you. You assume that, okay, when I go to sleep, they're going to do the thing and they're, and they're going to figure it out. And I'm going to wake up and whatever it is will be gone. And when it's Next. not, you're like, what the, f- what, what? Like, so yeah, so, and I mean, that's, I've never had that exact experience, but I can imagine, like, the, that's, that's trauma again. Mm, 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 absolutely, and I think medical trauma is one of those things that I, I have not really examined particularly hard, because I'm a little bit scared, too, because mm-hmm. I've had a lot of it, a lot of you know like when you go in and have emergency treatment they do things to you like you're a machine and they don't ask um and some of the times they do that because they're saving your life that's definitely happened to me where i've had six people just doing things to me because otherwise i might die with my allergies um but other times you know other times they i think that they could be a little bit more patient and they could explain what they're doing rather than just stabbing you with things and putting needles in and doing this and doing that and and sometimes i think they forget that you're a person um and that and that if you're in that situation a lot like you need to be treated with you know with respect and you need to be explained what's happening to you because it can get really wary yeah and i remember i was in a hospital in france a couple of years ago with um GERD symptoms and with symptoms of like I, w- I went to Paris just to just to go to Paris. The night mm. that, the night that I was there, I decided to go on the Champs Elysees and have some food. We went to some, mm. we went to like a Parisian subway there, and so mm. we go to the to the sandwich place. I eat four or five hours later, I'm throwing up blood. Great. Oh yeah. So then I'm in a I'm in a French hospital, and they're speaking Parisian French, which I, which I can sort of understand, but I can't communicate back. They're poking, mm. they're poking and prodding me, and I'm like, fuck, well, this is where I'm going to die. This is it right here. <laughs> this is the end. So I totally get when you're like, I wish they would just talk to me. Like, I wish they would have just talked mm. to me. Mm. Like, I remember they had to do an endos- endoscopy for me to go down mm. and see what was wrong. And mm. typically they do the endoscopy when you're awake. Mm. And I have severe CP, like, gag reflex. Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell... As much as I like to to choke on big things and swallow stuff <laughs> to bring it back to sex, there's no way in hell that I would be able to be to be awake when you're sh- when you're making me swallow swallow mm. a tube. Like even the idea just irked me out, and I just had a spasm because the idea is gross. But mm. I, there's no way. So the doctors were mm-hmm. saying to me in French, like swallow, relax, swallow, and I kept saying no, 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 I can't, I can't. And so finally, I freaked out enough that they realized I was serious. And mm. then they stopped. And so then they ha- wheeled me back to the room. The next day they were like, okay, now we're going to put you to sleep and now we're going to do it because we get mm. it. But it took mm. me freaking out and having a moment with them for them mm. to get them that this person's serious. They, they can't. <laughs> they can't. Mm. So I get it when you're like trying to do And you, you also can't deal with the trauma of that moment because you're like, I need to survive. So I need mm. to let them do whatever they got to do. Mm-hmm. Even if I hate it because I got to survive. Mm. So I get it. I, I totally get where, you, where you're probably coming from with all your stuff. Your whole thing is I gotta survive, even if it sucks balls. Mm. I, gotta, <laughs> I, I gotta survive. And I think you know the frustrating thing about what you just said was that actually, 
you know, there's no, in my, in my experience, there's no, there's no evidence that if you had been able to speak French that they would have taken you seriously. I've had a lot of things where I've gone into A&E and I said, these are my allergies, these are how severe they are and they don't believe you because they're like, it's very rare for it to be that severe. And I'm like, yeah, but I am that, I am that rare case. I know this and, and this is, these are my experiences and this is what I need right now. Um, and they, you know, they don't take you seriously. So, it, you know, it's your disability meant that you physically cannot couldn't do that and they you know even if you've been able to communicate that they may not have you know taken that seriously yeah and I, I just think our medical community whether you're in France whether you're in Toronto whether you're in the UK doctors like there's a hashtag on Twitter right now which I think you would fall in love with there's a hashtag uh-huh. that went around on Twitter and I think it was created by maybe one of my friends um, uh-huh. I don't, I'm not sure one of my disability friends they created do- uh-huh. doctors or dickheads it was the hashtag <laughs> and it went viral on social media and it was people talking about their experiences with doctors uh-huh. particularly disabled people and really ill people talking about how, how many times doctors were shitty and doctors uh-huh. would come back with like with like well you know we, we're just doing our jobs but some docs, doctors would be like you know no we have to listen to this so like you were saying on your questionnaire that you need to get a twitter highly recommend <laughs> twitter yep. and pump in that hashtag because you uh-huh. like Given mm-hmm. all the stuff you deal with on a daily basis, that hashtag might really help you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love that. You know, like I think one of the things with my PTSD was I I I couldn't get to see someone. So as much as we were saying earlier that the, that the NHS is great, you know, the NHS is awesome, but they are not great with mental health, like lots of the places across the world. Um, and they uh, are they just don't have the provision to send people to consultants. Um, and therefore, my PTSD was diagnosed by a GP, which is like our first line of, uh, you know, of um, um, of of care and the um the response i always got was um well come back and see me in four months time five months time and if it's getting a bit better then we'll let you just deal with it i never got to see you know a psychologist or a psychiatrist because they their attitude was always it's getting better on its own so i just sort of self-treated it over years and years and years and um you know i think that's that's you know a really frustrating thing is that kind of the access to mental health provision the access to mental health is just so painfully in 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 pain it's painfully inaccessible and it's Mm -hmm. not the way we're treated when we have because i'm because i am markedly disabled and you can see it in in my body and probably when you have your stick they might take you more seriously because then you have a marker to say Mm -hmm. i have an issue if i go into Mm -hmm. a hospital and say i have mental health issues they tend to they believe me but they don't understand when i say it's about how i feel about disability Uh, uh. i'm having i'm having depression because i'm disabled Uh there's an issue around that they don't know Uh they don't know how to qualify that when i bring up Uh it's because the way my attendants take care of me it's the way people treat me ableism like i posted Uh on social media a few weeks ago and for Patreon listeners, we're totally veering away from sex. And we're just going <laughs> to have a conversation. Um, when I, I posted on social media a few weeks ago that, like, ableism causes depression, so don't be an ableist. It kind of mm-hmm. is a joke. Mm-hmm. And people were like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, God. Like, the reason why disabled people are depressed usually is because, like, you were an ableist and you hurt them and no one uh-huh. called you out. And when we do call you out, you get mad. Speaking of that... <laughs> 
<laughs> you had a partner who tried to mansplain PTSD to you. This is great because I can say this on the on the Patreon is the the almost uh, almost certainly that he won't subscribe to the Patreon and listen to it even if I share the main one on my <laughs> Maybe. on my on my main feed and if you have subscribed then thanks for uh, supporting andrew you're the best and you can deserve to listen to the story um yes <laughs> yes yeah, so i had i had a partner actually earlier this year who i uh had done all the steps and i thought you know i've done this the right way i've sat down i've explained to you i have ptsd i've explained briefly but not making a big deal of it about what it is and then we had sex i had a panic attack it was fine we dealt with it. <laughs> we just back up for a minute. I love how you so very succinctly and eloquently were like, because <laughs> usually when I say I've had sex, my next sentence is had sex. Then I told all my friends about it. It was good. <laughs> Your immediate go-to was had sex, had a panic attack. Everything's good. And you move right along. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, and actually, that's one of the great things about how far I've come. Like, you know, the story five, four years ago would have been like, tried to have sex, had a really big panic attack, cried for two hours, threw up a bit, cried some more. It was awful, you know, and, and actually nowadays it's so much more like, yeah, had sex, had a panic attack, continued having sex, maybe had another panic attack and then just finished off having sex. It was great. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, we'd been through this, we'd have the conversation, I tried not to make it a big deal, because I tried to sort of just say, this is me, this is, this is what happens, this is what I come to, um, you know, um, and this is the way we deal with it, like, let's just take it in our stride, I'd made it as sort of non big thing as possible. Um, but maybe I'd made it too much of a small thing, because we were in bed one morning, and he was reading off his phone. And like, it was like an article, it was like some funny thing that, you know, was like appropriating PTSD. So I shouldn't have been doing that anyway, but it was like pretending that someone had gotten PTSD from something very minor and trivial. So um, I didn't love the whole emphasis of the of the article, but I was too, um, too shocked by what he said to actually take him to task on it. Um, yeah, he was like reading it and he got to like, he, he said the words PTSD and then he literally turned to me and said, oh, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, if you didn't know, and then just carried on reading. And I was so shocked that I was like, I was just so shocked that I didn't, I didn't say anything. I didn't take him to task on it. Um, and I, I, the only thing that I can think of is that I, do, I don't think he actually mansplained it to me. I think he actually, which is what's more scary, is that he didn't listen in the first place. Um, you know, there's a big thing about men not listening to women when they talk and say important things. And actually, in the end, that's that's what we we um, we stopped seeing each other for that reason, because I. Um, I was like, you don't listen to anything I say. And that was that was the big thing where I was like, I have a really like important thing here now that this is my safety you're compromising now if you don't listen to what I need and you know, you're not learning about my um about the things that are gonna keep me safe, then I'm not gonna not gonna carry on. But yeah, it was <laughs> I was um, I was I was shocked and, and pretty amazed. I was like, How did this happen? Yeah, like how do we get to this place where like you yeah. wow. And like yeah. first of all Lots of people know what PTSD are. Like, why would you, why would you feel it was appropriate to, first of all, do that to your partner? Secondly, like, it's pretty common. I know, like, most people, unless they're from a place where PTSD is not actively discussed or has a different name for it, we know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. the way you describe it is like he was trying to be like, I know things. Like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so much of so much of the time we spent together was like that. I know more things than you, and I'm better than you. Oh, so it didn't God. last for long. It was about six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> six weeks of like, oh no, I can't deal with this. Um. <laughs> um. I could just talk to you forever, but I there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about. You talk in your questionnaire about about um, kind of resenting kind of your attitude changing around your disabilities each of your disabilities you having a different attitude around each of them which I can imagine can be stressful as fuck because what mm-hmm. how are you supposed to feel about all this and you mentioned like your resentment around PTSD can you mm-hmm. talk more about that yeah so I think um, I'm generally a very accepting and placid Placid, maybe the wrong word. I'm, you know, it could be feisty, but I. There we go. Because <laughs> placid made me think of like it made me think. First of all, it made me think of flaccid, which made me think of like, <laughs> which made me think of like unerect penises, which would be really apropos for today because I just <laughs> I just sucked one for a couple hours. So yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a it's a good quote for you as well. Placid but feisty. <laughs> 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 you know, I think I'm gonna use that as like my Instagram bio from now on. Classic advice. Um, so I'm I'm very like usually very accepting, and I've had a lot of different diagnoses over the years. So, it, you know, I I'm I'm a very positive person, and I just usually sort of take them in my stride and go, well, there isn't a lot we can do about them. We don't know what causes them. They're probably biological. They're probably genetic. Um, although the fibro I think was caused by a reaction to having a lot of steroids for my um, allergies so that one maybe was preventable um, but they're all kind of biological scientific or genetic and they're, they're ones that I'm like well can't really change them um, they're not not something that can be explained easily um, but my PTSD was caused by a person it was caused by a person who had um, you know bad consent practices and you know probably bad education around sex and had some streaks in him that were a bit I don't even want to say malicious, to be honest. They were unempathetic and uh, didn't take those type of things seriously. And, and you know, I think I think he definitely was, you know, on the scale of people who were pretty empathetic, he was definitely way down at the bottom. Um, and so didn't kind of perceive the harm that he was doing. Um, but, and so that is, uh, that is a real source of frustration because um, it was preventable. And I think... You know, there must be loads of people that have disabilities that were caused by something, you know, by an attack or by a person or by, you know, and, and, and for me, it wasn't an accident. Like, it's not like I had a car accident and that happened and it was, you know, it could have been prevented if I'd turned, taken a different route, but yeah. it didn't, you know, this was, um, I don't think there was any way to prevent this except by being lucky and not being in a relationship with this person, um, you know, and that. And that's hard. And I feel resentful towards my illness because of that, towards the PTSD, because I feel it's unnecessary. It just wastes so much time. Like so many disability, it just just takes away so much um, time and energy. Um, but it's definitely time and energy that, you know, I kind of feel like someone has stolen from me. Totally. And I mean, they have. And I wish that we could try people for like, you know, say to them, like, hey, you did this to me. Give me some compensation. Where's my give me some dollars, give me some pounds, give me some, like, euros mm-hmm. for all the shit you put me through. Mm-hmm. And for dis- disabled people who are so marginalized, both financially and economically, like, yeah, you deserve that. So I, I'm so sorry that happened to you. On the flip side of that, 
that sounded flippant. That's not what I mean. I just mean <laughs> I wanted to move on to the next thing. Of course, I'm sorry to have you. But um, on the flip side to that part of it, is there a part of your disabilities that you love? Is there a part of that that you're like connected to? Because for me, my disability is a fierce, strong, and you know, because you listen, uh-huh. a fierce, strong part of what I do. And it's uh-huh. a thousand uh-huh. percent of who I am. And uh-huh. I am utterly defined by my disability in the, in the best and worst ways. Is there a way that you're like, that you look at all this, all these disabilities and all these illnesses and go, thank you? Like, is there a moment where you thank uh-huh. them or is, is that not? Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I, I sometimes think, you know, I learned all the lessons I was going to learn from being, you know, having all these illnesses, you know, probably 10 years ago, I don't still need new ones. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> get frustrated at that. I feel like I've, got, I've had enough now to learn all my lessons, but but definitely it's definitely made me um, a more empathetic and a more caring person um, and see the value in myself of lots of different things that I bring, you know, I, I sometimes get frustrated that I can't, you know, be more practical help or I can't be running around doing everything all the time of the day. But it makes me see all the other things that I bring to a relationship or the other things that I bring to a workplace or um, to anything that I do or friendships and things like that. Um, and it's definitely made me um, more more true to myself um, in that I have always had to be in tune with my body because there are things that it just can't do. And some days it can do things and some days it can't. Um, and so... Um, you know, that's really made me know myself. Um, and it's made me not just physically like true to what I need. It's made me more emotionally in tune to saying this isn't right for me. This situation is unhealthy or um, I need to do something else or um, things. And I think that really kind of resonates through, through the whole of my life. That's, I'm so happy that there because you've been through so much with your illnesses and disabilities and the medical community sucking and then men mansplaining things to you and <laughs> being allergic to sperm. And you've been through so many things. I am really pleased to know that there are moments where your disability is a source of pride for you. And I mm-hmm. am especially excited that this podcast is one of the reasons I hope that in listening to all this, that you have found a community of people that have said, yeah, we're just when we fucking like there are moments yeah. where it sucks, but we also love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great. And I, I, you know, my favorite episodes of, of these are definitely the ones where you, you know, interview people and you get to hear all their unique stories and everyone's story is, is unique. But in there somewhere, there's always some humor and there's always some realness and some positivity. And, um, you know, and you can have those conversations that are like the bad and the good together. I think it's great. Well, this one is definitely going to be like this, this picture. <laughs> Usually I do the Patreon interviews for an extra 10 minutes. We've, we've, it's, it's half an hour now. This, like, <laughs> I wish that I was in the UK right now because it's late there now. It's like 11 o'clock. I wish that like, it's- I wish I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want to invite you to do an episode of when I was a disabled kid also uh-huh. because your disabilities came later in life, but you also talk about uh-huh. like learning the mastery when you were a kid and being all those things. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I want to invite you to come back to do another show like this or to do either just so much that you and I could talk about it. I feel like we're not done. <laughs> like, I feel like we could, awesome. Like, yeah, I'd love to do that. I think, I think, you know, I only had will, one illness as a child, so there'll be, you know, more succinct stuff to talk about. Um, and, you know, I think my first instinct is there isn't a lot to talk about because I was... I'm just so accepting as a kid. I was just like, oh, it's fine. I'm not well. I'll just get better one day. I, I was just so positive and happy. <laughs> I'll just get better just, one day. 
yeah, it was honestly like that. And it was only when I started, you know, like university and things like that, where I, you know, really hit me. And I started getting like, you know, multiple diagnoses on top of each other. That was when I started kind of um, realizing that it, you know, it was, it was hard. But as a kid, I was just like, it's just different. And I'll just do that one day. It's not a problem. <laughs> it was so positive. And I was, you know, when I was a kid too, when I was just, like, we could just do the episode right now. We could just, <laughs> like, when I was a little kid too, I was the same way. I was like, oh yeah, this is whatever. Um, and I was also super resilient, so I, I understand what that's like. Mm-hmm. I think childhood a lot, like, childhood protects you that way. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Because you, you have less responsibilities, and, and you're not, you know, one of the big things for me was, like, suddenly being like, I have to have a job, and I have to earn money, and, um, you know, and, and that has been a huge pressure of starting to grow up and become an adult and having to be financially independent. Um, yeah, because you touched on it earlier, like the welfare in this country is pretty, pretty bad. I was on it for a while, but I, it wasn't enough to live independently. I had no. to live with my mom. Yeah. I only have it because where I'm living is subsidized because mm-hmm. of the of the system. But it's just they can they can decide to take it away at any moment. And that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm um, we went off on a million tangents, and <laughs> if, I, if we keep talking, we'll be here all night, and it's late for you. So, I have made a new friend, and that makes me so happy. You are just yeah. Charlie Garner. Like I said, <laughs> like I said in my thing on the main show, you have garnered, you have, you have garnered a new disabled friend for life. I, I love that. Like, I'm just so. I'm gonna use a. I'm gonna use a British euphemism here. That's really out of place, but I love it. I'm so chuffed that we. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we are that we're friends now and, and that you're a supporter of the show and that we connected in a way in this really cool weird way because you listened and you wanted to like mm-hmm. i'm so happy it's great and this conversation is like i said before one of my favorites just so good yeah. and wow. i would i i want to urge you to take this stuff these stories and like write a book, do a podcast, like, yeah. there are things, like, let me, like, let's let's talk about it off the thing, because there are things you can do, and I want to help you. Anyway, Charlie Garner, this was Patreon Disability After Dark. You're the best. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>